Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, where I'm joined today by a panel from Alberta uh, to talk about a project called PACES. A couple of months ago, one of my guests, uh, Tim Moms, who's a lung cancer patient, and he's the founder of the Give a Breath movement and a patient advisor on what we're going to talk about and other things. Tim and I had lunch together in Ottawa when he was here speaking at uh, an event on, at Parliament, and he told me about this project. And I said, "Oh boy, we've got to get get this on the podcast." So the pro- the project that project is called Paces. So in addition to Tim joining the podcast, we're joined by Lisa Shirt. Lisa is a clinical nurse specialist in palliative care, works in the community in Calgary, and is an integral part of this project uh, called Paces, which we'll come on to. And uh, Dr. Jessica Simon, who is a palliative care physician in Calgary and the co-lead for PACES. So Lisa, Jessica, Tim, welcome to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to, so we're going to kind of go around in a little sort of round table here. And I'm going to start with Dr. Simon or Jessica, if I may, or first names on this podcast. Maybe you could just briefly say, well, what is PACES? And then we're really interested to to understand why you decided that this was an important thing to do. Thanks, Paul. PACES stands for Palliative Care Early and Systematic. And it's a research program we set up a few years ago here in Calgary, really trying to help patients access supportive and palliative care right from the get-go after an illness diagnosis. We know that there are lots of benefits to, to patients in terms of quality of life, symptom control, when we can get palliative care started early rather than late on in illness trajectories. Okay. And so I think we're going to talk a bit later about maybe the stigma around the, the, the idea of palliative care and, and, and what it's historically meant, but what it really should mean. Maybe you could... Uh, just explain uh, just a, a touch more, Jessica, about you, you, when we were talking before, you started in bowel cancer, now you've moved to lung cancer. What, where's the story? Yeah, let me tell you why we, why we did this. So we've been doing work with bowel cancer and we've been working with oncologists, helping them to make these earlier referrals to palliative care. And one of the cancer doctors said to us, look, if you already know who it is who's going to benefit from an early consult, why don't you just call them automatically? Why are you waiting for me to refer them? And we thought that was a great idea. We thought, you know, what would happen if we actually offer an early supportive and palliative care consultation to patients who've just been diagnosed with serious cancer? And, but we wondered, you know, would that be acceptable to them? What would it be like to get a call potentially out of the blue offering this kind of added layer of support? And that was why we set out to study PACES automatic and to find out how acceptable this might be. Okay, and we'll come on to what you found a bit later, but so PACE is automatic. The automatic bit is at diagnosis that automatically triggers your team to contact the patient. Is that, it's not selected by the oncologist to say, oh, contact, you know, 
Mr. A, but not Miss B. Sure, why don't I let Lisa tell you all about the kind of what we did? Well, I'll tell you what, um, we'll do that. Lisa, I'm gonna to come to you in a minute, but before I come to you for the nuts and bolts and, and that question, let me just come to Tim. Tim, as a lung cancer patient, why do you think this is important? And why, so why did you tell me a couple of months ago, Paul, we got to do a pod on paces? It's the early consult. And, and I'm going to use myself as an example in this. When I reflect back to my second diagnosis of lung cancer coming back, there was a period of almost three months where I had no contact with anybody waiting to see an oncologist or recovering from surgery. There's the research that goes on in the internet, which is not accurate, so we should avoid the internet university. There's all of the, uh, the things about, do I plan a will? Do I do this? Do I this? The, the mind just goes in wild places. And that early consult would have provided me an avenue, and I believe it does for everybody that gets an opportunity with this now, an early avenue to have some discussions with experts, ASH, the automatic. Right. Okay, great. And if people want to hear Tim's story, go to the lungcancercanada.ca website and you can hit the Lung Cancer Voices link. And episode number 37 was uh, Tim telling his story. Okay, so we've got a little bit of the brief overview and the why and the maybe why it's important. So Lisa, could, could I ask you to explain the kind of the, the what, what actually happens? What is PACES in real life? What does it look like? Okay, thanks, Paul. So we we as consultants in the community had the same frustration as Tim. We knew the benefits of early palliative care because we would often see people very late in their journey and they had lots of, I wish I would have known this sooner comments for all comers. And so we thought, what if we just called them ourselves? And so we actually went through the lists of new patient clinics and any patient that was a new stage four lung cancer, except non-small cell, we just went ahead and called them. And we had lots of worries about how that would be received for especially brand new patients. They have a lot going on. There's lots of medical things. There's lots of non-medical things. And so we leaned heavily on our patient advisor group to help us formulate a script. And we did, even though we're both quite experienced palliative care nurses, we did follow the script very <laughs> correctly for a long time to make sure that we started with words like supportive and caring. And as our conversation evolved, then the word palliative came in. And I was surprised we did 157 calls, the two of us. And it wasn't until the very last one that somebody misinterpreted and was upset that we were calling because they were dying. But for, for the most part, people were interested in accepting, feeling very overwhelmed because we called very quickly after their first visit, but also very appreciative. So those 157 calls, Lisa, I'm going to I'm going to monopolize your time now on our panel so I can make sure that we all understand this clearly. So somebody with stage four lung cancer would have a visit with an oncologist and you would identify them at that point. Or could it have been a visit with a surgeon or someone else? No, we did limit ourselves to having seen a medical oncologist just because we needed to have a bit more information, especially with biomarkers and things like that. Often when we called, we knew we would get questions, which we did. Right. Okay. And so is this intervention a one-off phone call or does it lead on to other meetings or phone calls or resources being provided? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So ultimately, our hope was that people would accept us to come to their home and have a visit, as we do with all of our palliative consults. But we also had options. So some people weren't ready. Some people were overwhelmed. And the patient advisors, again, were our leading force who said, if they don't want the visit, at least send them information. So the patient advisor group had developed an amazing list of resources that we could email. So we emailed the resources to people, whether they accepted us to come to their homes or not. And then we also, when we went to their homes, took a lot more information with us, but they could have that information just in a, an email if they didn't want, want the actual visit. Okay. But most of them, a lot of them did accept the actual visit. Okay. I'm going to put Tim on the spot here and I'm going to go off script from what we what we discussed earlier. Tim, Lisa was mentioning there how much that she and the team relied on patient advisors. So you were one of the patient advisors. What was your role in developing this? What kind of advice were you giving to Jessica and Lisa and the team? Well, certainly we were led through a process and we volunteered information quite regularly. But then, of course, we as patient advisors would maybe go off in another direction of what we thought should be added and so on. I think what I really want to say with this, we had the opportunity to provide a great deal of input. And my experience, and I really want to say this part, in working with this particular team has been amazing. This is one of the most respectful opportunities I've ever had with Alberta in this world. And um, we were listened to, and our, our experiences, knowing that we're going through this, were really heard. So I think that's an important thing to know. We we were able to go on whatever tangent we needed to. And and then a few of us actually had after hours conversations about ideas too. Yeah. Okay, great. And and I and I was looking through all of the authors and you've introduced me to to a number of them that psychologists, social workers, physicians, nurses, patients, really collaborative group. Lisa, can I come back to you? Something you said earlier just piqued my interest. You said that in in the past when you were seeing people with stage four lung cancer much later in their illness and helping them at that point, they would say to you, I wish I had known this earlier. I think that's what you said, because I wrote it down, but I often write things down. But that would, that's what you said. I, I wish I wish I'd known this earlier. Yeah. And I think, yeah. and, and Tim what, might be- question, What things? What things are you telling them early? What kind of things? So I think there's two important things. So from my perspective, the important things were those advanced care planning conversations like Tim talked about. Do I need to make a will? What's this, what's it going to look like? What's going to happen to me? Those big kind of questions. But then, and again, Tim's probably a good person to answer this as well. And then there was the nuts and bolts. There's a lot of community resources that patients don't know about. When you're in the Tom Baker, there's so much going on. You're hearing about your cancer and your biomarkers and your chemo and your appointments and your scans and your blood work that they don't have time to hear about the counseling that SAGE offers or the exercise programs at Wellspring. So there's a lot of this stuff that's in the community and there's pamphlets at Tom Baker and in the, the cross, but people, it's medical there. So just the community resources was a really important piece that people need early. Right, okay. I liked what you said about advanced care planning conversations. A lot of people don't really understand what advanced care planning is. I, I often use the uh, Speak Up Canada uh, resource and it's a website advancedcareplanning.ca when you talk about advanced care planning lisa with people with newly diagnosed stage 4 lung cancer you mentioned you know a will but it's much more than that isn't it what mm -hmm. what what are the other kind of elements that you discuss with advanced care planning 
we're big on the dignity question here. So what matters to you? And helping people understand how how they can tailor some of their decisions and wishes around what matters rather than what they're told. So I think when patients come into the system, they don't know that they have options. And so helping them realize what's important to them and how we can support them to achieve their goals. And maybe that's chemo, maybe that's not chemo, maybe that's something totally different. So we were really big on what matters to you, what's important to you, who's in your family, who's your people, what supports do you have, How? what have you been through in the past, how have you okay. dealt with things in the past? I, it's probably no surprise to people listening, you talking about this program being so collaborative and between you as the healthcare professional and, and the patient and, and working together, it's probably no surprise then when you design a program like this, it's equally collaborative between all of these groups. Not to sound too syrupy, but it's kind of inspiring. Jessica, can I come back to you? Maybe you could just say how long you've been doing this and, and do you have any, what kind of results do you have of the PACES program to demonstrate its success yeah. or are you at that point yet? Yeah, we ran the, in the first six months of the program, we ran a research part as well, where we then phoned uh, patients back and asked them how acceptable it had been to hear from Lisa and her colleague offering them these supportive and palliative care visits. And 94% of patients said it was completely or somewhat acceptable to receive these calls. Only 6% were neutral and nobody said I wish I hadn't been called or why did they call me? I don't want that. So we were very pleased to find that this intervention, this reaching out and asking people, would you like some, would you like to meet someone from supportive and palliative care or can we send you some information about it was, was indeed acceptable. And two thirds of those patients that were called accepted a consultation from uh, Lisa and her colleague. And those who declined often declined because they'd either already had some experience of palliative care, you know, had a recent family member go through things and kind of felt they knew they had what they needed for now. And then others were happy to have information to come back to later on. Okay. And are you going to be looking at any any other things? I mean, there's, historically, there's, there's uh, you know, evidence that this early palliative care intervention helps people to, with their quality of life, helps people even to live longer make better decisions around uh, their choices of care. Are, are you going to be looking at that or have you looked at that? We have looked at that for our earlier projects and found that early palliative care helped people to spend longer at home, have uh, less time in the hospital in the last three months of life. And actually, for each of those days spent at home rather than hospital or another care setting, actually also is a very um, economical way to, to care for people. So it has impacts not just on the individual person themselves, but also on our whole healthcare system. We, we might repeat looking at that for this cohort as well, but what we've done with our PACES automatic study is we've had qualitative interviews. We've gone to patients who've had um, these consultations and asked them, what was that like for you? And again, overwhelmingly finding this is a very positive intervention. Oh, terrific. Well, congratulations. Well, congratulations to all of you. I just have a a couple more questions, and then I'll ask you each for a sort of, you know, one-line takeaway. Lisa, you, you sort of touched on this a little bit about your, your fears going into this, about how this would be accepted. Could you maybe expand a little bit on what you were worried about? And, and I, I guess Jess has kind of answered that it was acceptable, but not, not so easy to make those phone calls. Right? 
Yeah. And it, it's funny because I, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, but to hold call someone, especially so quickly after a diagnosis, we were worried that we would cause more upset or more stress or even anger. We even wondered if people would be angry that we were calling. And so, like I said, we stuck very much to the script that our patient advisors helped us develop. And I think some people have had so many calls from healthcare people that they almost just agreed and nodded and didn't know who we were, what we were about. But I found that just giving them the, the chance to talk and, and often the conversations weren't weren't long, but they had a lot of information in them about what we were doing. And because we didn't start with the word palliative, we sort of gradually worked into it. So we were defining it before we were using it, that people understood it was more supportive care, just because historically people think palliative means end of life care. Right. Well, maybe just on that, maybe how would you define palliative benefit for those who might think, oh, it's end of life care? How would you? I really talk about it as an approach to care. I often say we used to think it was end of life care, but now we think of it as an approach to care that is all about living well. So we're not so much focused on the treatment you're having, but on how you're dealing with it, living with it, managing with you, your family, your friends. Yeah. I had a great conversation actually recently with my colleague, uh, Dr. Ed Fitzgibbon, and I I don't know if you know know of him. He's a palliative care physician here in, in Ottawa. He was going through this model of palliative care that it used to be like it was all oncology and then a solid line and you mm-hmm. no more oncology and you go to palliative care. And then there was a model that sort of palliative care would gradually increase as oncology care kind of gradually tailed off. And then he sort of discarded with that now and said, actually, palliative care is meeting people where they are. And so maybe right at the beginning when there's a lot of fear and anxiety and, and uncertainty, it's just intuitive that it's a great place for you to get involved. At least that's what I think. But that neatly leads on to Tim because you're the end user here. What are the benefits that you are hoping to see or you've already heard about from your your peers and contemporaries with lung cancer? What, what, do you, what are the benefits from you know, the coalface? Thanks, Paul. Being, being reached out to is a real benefit. There's that time period where you, you don't get to talk to anybody, you're unsure what's happening. And whatever the reach out is, and in this case, some very, very wonderful experts coming to us, to me would give hope, would be calming, some reassurance, reassurance, offering to ask questions that won't necessarily get answered, but feeling like you've got to ask them. And to be able to look to the future and feel like, okay, I can figure this out, I got this. And I think that's a pretty important piece of this in that, that period of time when you're left sort of unattended as we begin to explore next options in your treatment. Right. right. And and Tim, you, you and I have spoken sort of on record and off record about all of the different things that you do as a lung cancer patient beyond your own personal lung cancer trajectory and story and treatments. You do an awful lot with Lung Cancer Canada, Give a Breath, Canadian Cancer Trials Group, if I've got all of those correct, is that right? Uh, no, I got it wrong. It's fine. <laughs> you do you do a lot. Let's just say you do a lot. How did you find being involved from the ground floor up in this project? I'll go back to a little bit of what I said earlier in the sense that this is one of the most respectful groups I've ever worked with and honoring us as patient advisors and actually listening to us and not and we're not walking away going, oh, they're just giving us, you know, 
but just listening to us. No, they were really listening to us and taking great advice. And we learned a lot from them, which was pretty amazing as well. Sounds like you were pivotal, you and your colleagues. And Lisa was just kind of saying how, you, you know, she's an experienced community palliative care operator, but was was following your script. I mean, maybe I guess, what would you think, how would you advise other lung cancer patients to get involved out, outside their own their own care? Because it sounds like there's just, well, I know this, you know this, but there's just so much where we do better if we listen to you. And, you know, this old phrase, I keep trotting it out, nothing about me without me. Where would you say to your newly diagnosed lung cancer contemporaries that they could get involved? The paces I'll first say, inviting patient advisors in, recognize that we're the ones experiencing it right now and provided input for them to be able to do what we hope is even a more of an amazing job because I think they did an amazing job to begin with. But for lung cancer patients, any cancer patient wanting to become involved, it's about what are you willing to do? You want to advise? Just being raising awareness, whatever you can do, every little bit that you do will make a difference. Sometimes it's about knowing where we can help, and that's not so easy to find, unfortunately. Right. Well, maybe we can try at Lung Cancer Canada to point people in the right direction with that. I was going to then move to just a kind of closing uh, comment from everyone, but I've got one more question for Jessica before, which is sort of scalability of this. You're, you're doing this in Calgary. Tim is in Edmonton. I'm in Ottawa. Is this scalable? Do you have the resources? Yeah, I think we've proved the principle that it's important to reach out to people and offer them early supports. And I'm glad to say it's become standard of care here in Calgary. But there is work to do, I think, to spread. We've got to make sure that there are enough providers like Lisa in each city who can reach out and make these phone calls. I think the really important thing is though we see these people at some point. We see many, many cancer patients at some point in their journey. So it's not like we're adding work. It's just that we're moving things upstream, seeing people a bit earlier, soon after their diagnosis, when there's a lot of distress and a lot that we can that we can offer. So it's I don't know if that answers your question, Paul, but I think we're just moving from seeing people late to seeing people early and being able to make more of a difference. Right. Yeah. And that sometimes, I guess in life, but in healthcare as well, we, we see doing something earlier as an additional resource rather than actually saving a lot of effort in the long run, whether it's resources, whether it's benefit to our patients, you know, like you said, like Lisa, you said at the beginning, like, I wish I'd known this earlier. It's kind of my takeaway, I think. Prevent crises. When we see folks early, yeah. we can actually help people plan and be able to live well and stay home or do the things that they that they want to do. Actually, I often use that kind of line uh, when I'm talking to my patients about advanced care planning is, is I'll say something like, you know, these are difficult things to think about, difficult things to work through. They're big, big decisions that you're making, but it's easier to do it early rather than waiting for a crisis day to come along and then suddenly having to make these awfully big decisions in the midst of some event happening. We've been chatting away for 25 minutes. I feel like we could talk for another hour and it would go by in a flash, but respectful of how long people like to listen to podcasts for, I'm going to ask you all for just sort of a, some sort of closing thought. So the palliative care early and systematic 
PACES research program or PACES automatic. Jessica, like final thoughts on, on, on PACES and, and how important it's been? I think to me, it's gratitude, gratitude to Tim and the patient advisors who work with us, particularly I want to remember Jane, who uh, unfortunately has uh, passed away during this project time. And everybody's contributions were so critical to the design of this project. I can't imagine doing research now without it being a co-design project. And that same gratitude also to my colleagues, to people like Lisa, all the nurses and doctors who joined us in this process. Terrific, thank you. Lisa? I would second what Jess said. I was I feel really privileged and excited to be part of this research project. We've learned lots from our patient advisors. And I guess my one, one wish is that all patients would have access to this care earlier because I help I think it helps them give them a little bit of peace of mind knowing what's out there, even if they don't need it now, and how to reach it when they do need it. Instead of waiting till there's a crisis, it's much, much better to plan ahead and get to know the people and know we're not scary, horrible people that can support them later on. That's right, because you people in palliative care have got this horrible reputation of being scary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to make this mandatory listening for all of my Ottawa colleagues and managers and leaders and try and bring this or something like this to, to our region. Tim, final thoughts from you. Well, PACES is such a supportive program, and it has been a privilege to work with this incredibly amazing team. As a patient, I believe that this early contact gives hope, helps develop a positive attitude during a very challenging diagnosis, and I think that kind of contact is very beneficial. Terrific. Well, thank you all so much. Tim Mons, Lisa Shirt, Dr. Jessica Simon. What a wonderful achievement this is, and turning it from a research project into standard of care. So if you're listening to this and you want to find out more, you could check out lungcancercanada.ca website. Is there a, is there an online resource, Jessica or Lisa, for this? Yeah, you can point? visit pacesproject.ca. That's P-A-C-E-S project.ca. This is project.ca. That's easy to remember. Yeah, you could just see this being so beneficial to so many people across the country if this can if this can be rolled out so thank you so much and thank you for listening to this lung cancer voices podcast and um, tune in for the next one bye bye thanks to our producer ryan mullen please send us your feedback like and follow us on facebook at lung can on twitter at lung cancer underscore can and on instagram at lung cancer canada for more information about lung cancer or to donate volunteer or share your story visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.